Well, let's, uh, let's open God's Word. We're going through the book, the Gospel of John together. We find ourselves in Gospel of John chapter 7. Verse uh, 14 to 24 is our text for this Lord's Day. Remember, uh, in chapter 6, it was right around the season of the Passover, and Jesus, that was the feeding of the, the 5,000. Well, now we're in the, uh, by chapter 7, we come into the time of the tabernacles, the Feast of Tabernacles. So about six months later. So between chapter 6 and chapter 7 is about a six-month gap that John says nothing about, except that Jesus uh, walked about in Galilee ministry. We introduced this chapter last time as the remember Jesus' brothers were kind of mocking him. Why don't you go and make a, a public display uh, during the feast? And Jesus said, it's not quite my time. And so the brothers went, and then Jesus went up quietly, separately. When we come to the text before us today, and we see Jesus introducing himself at the Feast of Tabernacles in Jerusalem about six months uh, before his crucifixion and resurrection. The text then for today is uh, John chapter 17, verses 14 to 24. Now about the middle of the feast, Jesus went up into the temple and taught. And the Jews marveled, saying, How does this man know letters, having never studied? Jesus answered them and said, My doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. If anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning the doctrine, whether it is from God or whether I speak on my own authority. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory, but he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true, and no unrighteousness is in him. Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses, therefore, gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. And you circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. So we see that as Jesus did come to this, the Feast of Tabernacles, or the Feast of Booths, or as our Jewish friends would call it, the Sukkot, which is Hebrew for booths, Jesus came up and he started speaking in the temple. We're not exactly sure where. Probably, it seems to me, in the court of the Gentiles. Big open court. And as he stood, he started teaching. We're not told what he taught. Once again, John tells us, I'm not going to tell you everything he said or everything he did. He preached. Apparently, he taught the Bible because we see that from the reaction that had. The Jews, were told, marveled at what he said. Now, again, we've been noticing something in the Gospel of John. When John refers to the Jews, he's typically speaking about the Jewish leaders, uh, the Pharisees and the Sadducees of the Sanhedrin in particular, but Jewish leaders because everybody in the temple there is a Jew for the most part in Jerusalem and in Israel and so when he's saying the Jews he's talking about their leadership and we'll see that distinction in just a moment but it says the Jews marveled saying how does this man know letters having never studied now that's my translation or the New King James that I'm reading refers to letters 
But literally, that word letters can mean writings, the scriptures. You see, even at that time, every Jewish boy was taught how to, to write, to read, because the Jews are people of the book. And, and the scriptures are a vital part. Every, every time they gather in the synagogue, there is the reading of the scriptures. And when a, when a boy grew up, we hear about the bar mitzvah at the age of 13. The young boy would stand in the synagogue. They would open the Torah scroll before him, and he would read a portion as a part of the service. In other words, uh, they were expected. Bar mitzvah means they were a son of the law. They were coming, reaching the age of accountability under God's law. They were expected to be able to read God's law. I mentioned on Wednesday night that that's, uh, that's, a, that's significant in history. That throughout the ancient world, the Jews have always been a literate people, a reading people, a people of the book. And I personally, I think that has a, aside from God's blessing, I think that has a lot to do with uh, some of their prosperity in the world. And I mentioned on Wednesday night, kind of our pre-study time, that over the course of the history of the Nobel Prizes, um, some 20% of the Nobel Prize winners have been Jewish. And yet, I think the Jewish population in the world is less than 0.2%. Why that incredible disparity? Well, one reason is they have a history of honoring reading and learning. And so when it says here, Jesus, where did he learn to, where, how did he know these letters? He wasn't trained. How does he, this man know le- the scriptures? They're not saying, oh, who, I thought he was from Galilee. He, he can't read, can he? Of course he could read. He was a Jewish man. He knew how to read. He knew the Hebrew scriptures. What they're saying is, he didn't go to our academies. He didn't study under our rabbis. He's not uh, taught as a rabbi as our rabbis are. And yet, he knows the scriptures. How can he know the scriptures so well? So that tells us, what did he preach? Not sure, but apparently he opened the scriptures to them. He, He taught the scriptures and taught what they meant and how to apply them to life. And they were astonished, not that he knew the scriptures, but that he could interact with them so effectively, and yet no rabbi had ever taught him. Uh, in passing, I'll just notice something else. It said, he, he, he knows the writings. You'll see that again and again in the ministry of Jesus. He will again and again say, haven't you read? Haven't you read? This is where he had a great difference with the Jewish leaders of the Pharisees. The Pharisees believed the Bible to be God's word. But they also believed that the tradition of the rabbis were of equal authority. And remember, one of the things that was said about Jesus, he teaches as one having authority. He didn't get up as the typical rabbi would and quote rabbi after rabbi. Rabbi this says this, but rabbi that, this says this. This is what the rabbis believe. Jesus got up and says, thus saith the Lord. And he opened God's word. And so he taught the writings not the traditions of the rabbis. And they saw that difference, but they said, so he doesn't know the rabbis. He doesn't quote the rabbis. But oh, how he knows and teaches the scripture. How can that be? 
By the way, I'll just uh, make one other note before I leave verse 15. It says, the Jews marveled, saying, how does this man know letters, having never studied? Literally, it's, how does this? In other words, how does this one? You'll notice something that you'll see in the, in the rabbis. When they speak of Jesus, almost never will they name his name. He's this fellow. In other words, that just shows, that's a way of kind of dishonoring him. How does this guy know the scriptures? They won't even do him the honor of naming his name. How does, how does this one know the scriptures? And, and they're marveling at well, how well he understands them. Now, if, as I'm reading that, maybe you're thinking, don't I remember another place in scripture where Jesus impressed the people in the temple with his knowledge of the Bible? You're right. You're thinking of Luke chapter 2. Remember, it was the Passover. His family came as they, were, they did every year to the Passover. Jesus was 12 years old. And there was that incredible scene where after the feast of the pastor was over, a, a week of, of, of celebration and of worship, uh, it was time to go home. And so all the pilgrims who had come to Jerusalem now went home. And apparently the men would kind of get with the men and the women with the women, and they'd kind of walk the, you know, the, the, the journey back to uh, Nazareth. It would be a few days' journey. Well, they got to the first stop for the night, and as the family were getting ready to gather, they all of a sudden realized Joseph and Mary that Jesus wasn't with them. And I've mentioned before, to me, it must have been the horror of their life. We lost the Messiah. How, what are we going to do with this? And so we, we see this in Luke chapter 2, verse 42 to 47. When Jesus was 12 years old, they went up to Jerusalem according to the custom of the feast. And it talks about how that all happened. And then down, skipping down to verse 46, they came back to Jerusalem to look for them. Verse 46, and now so it was that after three days... They found him in the temple. Parents, could you imagine three days of not knowing where, where Jesus is? It's not unusual for parents to maybe leave a child behind. I'm not going to get into details, but I could name names. <laughs> of As uh, we were locking up the church, and here's an extra child or two rattling around the building. It happens. It happens. And so, but three days, so after three days, they found him in the temple, sitting in the midst of the teachers, both listening to them and asking them questions. Here's this little 12-year-old guy. And yet, he's, he's, he's listening to the scholars. He's making comments, and he's asking questions. Again, to, to the Jew, that is, that is learning. I've mentioned before that... Um, the typical American family, when a child comes home from school, what did you learn today? But in the Jewish culture, what question did you ask today? And so he was asked, listening and asking questions in verse 47 of Luke 2. All who heard him were astonished at his understanding and answers. So at the age of 12, he was in the temple and they were amazed at his knowledge of scripture and his understanding of the scriptures. Skip ahead to now he's 30. And there he is in the temple. And again, the scholars are amazed. He wasn't taught by our rabbis. He's a carpenter from Galilee. But they couldn't dispute what a knowledge of scripture he has. What understanding. Well, 16 to 18, we see Jesus explaining. No, he didn't study under the rabbis. Where did he get this knowledge? 
explains that in verses 16 to 18. Jesus answered them and said, my doctrine is not mine, but his who sent me. These aren't my ideas. Okay, I wasn't taught by a rabbi, but I didn't come up with these ideas on my own. Rather, he's talking about, he got them from the one who sent me. And he's again and again mentioned. He came down from heaven. He was sent by his father. He came again and again, Jesus will say, I didn't come to do my will, but the one of him who sent, the will of him who sent me. And so Jesus is emphasizing, I'm bringing you God's word. I speak with the authority of God, the father. Verse 17, he says, now, if anyone wills to do his will, he shall know concerning this doctrine, this teaching, whether it's from God or whether I speak on my own authority. A good teacher will anticipate the questions people are thinking. Jesus has said in verse 16, I speak God's word. I speak God's message. One question you might be saying, how do we know it for sure? How how can I know that your message is from God? Well, Jesus answers the question. If anyone wills to do his will, he will know concerning this teaching, whether it's from God or whether it's my own ideas. What he's saying is, to know God's word is God's word takes a hard attitude. If my... If, my, if, if I come to God's word with an attitude of rebellion and resistance, then I'm not going to understand it and see that it's for God's word. But if I come with a hunger to know and, and God's will, then I'm going to hear God's word and it'll come to my heart. It kind of reminds me when I I've mentioned before, when I was in college, I, I wasn't raised in a religious home. And, and the first person that shared the gospel with me, I, my response to him was, I don't even know if God exists, so when you tell me Jesus is his son, I don't know what to do with that. But thank you for your time. And then God surrounded me. I was taking laboratory classes, and so in the lab, uh, a lot of times you get the process cooking, and then you wait. And, of course, you're supposed to talk about things like chemistry and biology, but that's not what we talked about. <laughs> but that's when well, God surrounded me with Christians who would share the gospel with me. And I remember walking behind the library one day and just saying, wow, if God is true, he's going to have to figure out how to tell me he exists and what religion is true. I think it was within days, a friend came and grabbed me and took me to a Christian meeting, and I heard the gospel, and I recognized this is the answer to what I was asking. Jesus Christ is the truth. But God had to work in my heart to bring me to the place where I was open to the truth. Where I was wanting the truth. As, as, as Jesus says, willing to do his will. So if we come with, you've got to convince me, you've got to overcome me, God's saying that's not the answer. We, 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 we receive God's word by coming with the heart of wanting to know and do his will. To, with a heart that says, I will submit, show me the way. Of course, That's not going to happen unless we come having God worked in our heart already. The Bible tells us no one seeks after God. 
And so Jesus has already told us in the Gospel of John, no one comes to the Father except my Father draws him. And so it begins with the work of the Holy Spirit that gives us a heart that's willing to will. I, uh, I, I was rebuked more than once last Sunday because not once in last Sunday's message did I mention Mr. Spurgeon. I gave extra effort this week. He didn't preach on this passage. But I found a quote or two that I might be able to use. And here's one that's relevant. Christ sends none away empty, but those who are full of themselves. Christ sends none away empty, but those who are full of themselves. That's the spirit that is opposite of what Jesus is saying. How do you want to know I'm speaking from God? If you're willing to do his will, you'll recognize this is God's will. But if you come full of yourself, then you're not open to God's will. He goes on in verse 18. He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. He who speaks seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true and so and no unrighteousness is in him speaking of himself i'm not seeking my own glory he says that again and again i came not to do my will but the will of the one who sent me and so he's saying i'm not seeking my glory i'm seeking his glory and i think when he says that he who speaks from himself seeks his own glory i think he's contrasting himself to the the scholars that are around him. If you've been much in the academic world, you see that so much of scholarship is really driven by pride. You know, I, I can so remember listening to, this is a special, I'll say the secular academy, but it, it, it infects the Christian schools too. But, but I remember one professor spent a bunch of time in a lecture explaining that he was the first guy to come up with this idea. Now some other guy, he, he, he did say it, but I had it first. He even told us which footnote in which paper he mentioned the idea. Just to make sure it was my idea first. The pride of the academic. The pride of the rabbis. And Jesus said, what a contrast. I don't seek. And what did he say? He who speaks from himself seeks his own glory. But he who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. Again, Mr. Spurgeon, this is twice already. Let us measure ourselves by our master and not by our fellow servants. Then pride will be impossible. See, they were all about exalting self. I know these things better than others. But when we look at Christ, then we are nothing. And so he's talking about the, the, the pride of pushing our own agenda, pushing our own knowledge. And Jesus said, that's not me. I came as a servant of my father. So the opposite of pride in learning is the humility that seeks not our own glory, but the glory of God. That's what he says here. The one who seeks the glory of the one who sent him is true. Again, Mr. Spurgeon said, if those who are reckoned to be learned profess to come to Christ, they are generally a trial to the church. One of the great burdens the church has borne over the years is scholars who think they're going to add to God's word and help God's word, do things God's way, man's way. True wisdom is another thing that is a gift which comes from above. 
It causes up no, no puffing up of the heart, for it adores the God from whom it came. The wisdom which is true and real, the Lord is prepared to give to those who confess their unwisdom, to those who will be babes in his sight. It is not ignorance which loves God, but conceit that he hates. And so what, what God is telling us and what Jesus is telling us here is, I don't come here promoting myself, showing that I know what all the rabbis think. I come with a message to speak God's word, the God's word given to me. And so a barrier to receiving God's word is pride. A barrier to faithfully preaching God's word is pride. And so Jesus here is, is addressing the problem of pride, especially pride in religion. I've got a couple more quotes here I bumped into when I was looking for Spurgeon quotes. But these aren't from Spurgeon. None are so empty as those who are full of themselves. That's certainly true. Pride fills me up with me, so I can't hear God's word. And then there's the theologian Milton Berle. Some of you old people know him. An egoist, a pride per, proud for person, an egoist is someone who is always me-deep in conversation. Vance Havner, an older preacher of the previous generation, an egoist is a man who talks about himself so much that you don't have a chance to talk about yourself. See, that's the problem of pride. It's me, me, me. And if I come to God on the basis of my pride, there's a wall. But when I come to God in emptiness and say, I come to you guilty. I come to you with desperate for wisdom and help. I am empty. Then I come with a receptive heart. And that's what Jesus is saying. If you want to know if I'm speaking for God, are you full of yourself? Are you coming willing to do his will? If you truly are willing to do his will, then you'll hear and know this is God's word. Well, then he goes and specifically deals with an issue of confrontation. Remember, his brothers were, Jesus stayed away from Jerusalem for a year because they were planning to kill him. And, and so now he comes, but he, and he, you know, he kind of speaks to the elephant in the room in verses 19 to 24. Verses 19 to 20, he says, Did not Moses give you the law? Yet none of you does it. None of you keeps the law. Why do you seek to kill me? The people answered and said, You have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? So Jesus, again, is, is not pointing to the rabbis for authority and support. And he's pointing the religious leaders to Moses. Uh, that's the Torah. The scriptures and he says you know Moses gave you the law none of you keeps the law and then when he does that he affirms what the scriptures say again and again if you want if you if you were to look over to Romans chapter 3 verses 10 to 18 where Paul outlines why we need Christ and forgiveness he, he shows that all men are sinful and if you look at Romans 3 10 to 18 my translation, it's all in italics, which means these are all Old Testament quotes. 
The scriptures point to the fact that no one keeps the law. No one is righteous before God. Just a couple quotes from Romans 3, verse 10. There is none righteous, no, not one. Verse 11, there is none who seeks after God. They've all turned aside, verse 12. There is none who does good, no, not one. Isaiah 53, 6, of course. All we like sheep have gone astray. Each has turned to his own way. All, all we. Goes our own way. What did Jesus say? You have Moses, but you don't obey Moses. We've all turned aside. Micah 7, 2. The faithful man has perished from the earth. There is no one upright among men. And so Jesus stands in the temple and says, You're so proud of all you know. But you don't do what you know. You cherish Moses, but you don't obey him. That's true of each of us. And so then the Lord directly confronts a problem. Why do you seek to kill me? Why do you seek to kill me? And the people respond and say, what are you talking about? The people answered and said, you have a demon. Who is seeking to kill you? Now, uh, let me just remember I said when he uses the word, John uses the word the Jews, he's speaking about the leaders. Now, Jesus speaks to to them and says, why do you seek to kill me? Who answers? The people, not the leaders. The people. But it was the Jewish leaders who wanted to kill him. John 5, 16. After the healing of the man on the Sabbath day, verse John 5, 16, for this reason, the Jews persecuted Jesus and sought to kill him because he had done these things on the Sabbath. So Jesus says, why do you seek to kill me? And the people say, you have a demon. Who's seeking to kill you? Because the crowd's thinking, we're not out to kill you. But the leaders were thinking, he's got us. We're seeking to kill him. But that's why he stayed away, because it wasn't God's time to die. But he's confronting them. Verses 21 to 23, Jesus answered and said to them, I did one work, and you all marvel. Moses gave you circumcision, not that it's from Moses, but from the fathers. You circumcise a man on the Sabbath. If a man receives circumcision on the Sabbath, so that the law of Moses should not be broken, are you angry with me because I made a man completely well on the Sabbath? So again, he keeps quoting Moses. Scripture. Scripture. You know, he's not, he's not going to debate rabbis with them. What does the scripture say? What's written? What does Moses say? And so he challenges them. What was the problem? He did a good work. Here was a man who, hadn't, who, who had been lame for, for, for decades. And Jesus on the Sabbath made him able to walk. And with that, they said, we're going to kill him because he's a a Sabbath breaker because he healed on the Sabbath. And Jesus said, read your Bible. Moses said, you don't work on the Sabbath, but you circumcise on the Sabbath. Now, that's just a a little ritual. So if, if, if that little ritual is acceptable on Sabbath, isn't it okay to heal a whole body? So what Jesus is telling us is something important here. He did not break the Sabbath law. 
he broke their traditions about the Sabbath law. And Jesus has no room for their man-made traditions. They're not the authority of Scripture. But Jesus obeyed the law during his earthly ministry. Galatians 4.4 tells us, When the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. Jesus didn't break the Sabbath. He broke their traditions about the Sabbath. And so, and, and he, I think, intentionally did that to show them the difference between what the Bible says and what their rabbis added to the Bible. Remember, he'll criticize them later. You, you've made tradition more powerful than the law itself. And so he said, you misunderstand. Look at your own lives. You know it's biblically right to do good on the Sabbath. And so he did. He didn't break the Sabbath. He kept the spirit of the Sabbath. He, he gave a man rest on the Sabbath. Well, Jesus kind of c- closes in verse 24. Do not judge according to appearance, but judge with righteous judgment. Now, they were judging on externals. They were judging because they didn't like him. By the, judging by the face is, is literally what they're saying here. He wasn't one of them, and so they were quick to attack. And Jesus said, judge by righteousness, judge by truth, judge with discernment. And as we draw this to a close, let me just draw some, message, some thoughts out. What Jesus is saying is his message is God's word, God's truth. What Jesus taught was God's truth, not his opinions. And so if we have a problem with what Jesus said, we have a problem with God. Now here's the, and and that shouldn't surprise most of us. But here's a question for us. If Jesus didn't preach his own ideas, but preached what the Bible says, what, what God gave him to preach, Can we do better than that? What should we be preaching? Our ideas or God's? And that's again why when I'm walking you through here, I'm showing you what verse I'm on. And I'm encouraging you to look and see to make it clear. I'm not preaching my ideas. If I were preaching my ideas, you're wasting your time. But we need to follow the example of Jesus Christ and preach the word. Our message is the message of Jesus, and that's the message of God's word. We don't have a message of our own. May God deliver us from preaching man's ideas, man's wisdom, trying to seek man's approval, or or to entertain man. That's not our calling. Jesus again and again made it clear his calling was to be faithful to the one who sent him. By speaking God's message. Now, it, this isn't speaking about preaching, but, but I was, as, as thinking about this, I was reminded of Ronald Reagan and what he said. He said, in all, the time I won, all that time I won the nickname the Great Communicator. Some of you are old enough to remember that's who, what they said about him. He was a great communicator. But I never thought it was my style or the words I used that made a difference. It was the content. 
I wasn't a great communicator, but I communicated great things. And to me, if that's true in the political realm, great things about the right tax structure, whatever it might be, how much truer is it of, of the scriptures? What better message can we bring than God's inerrant, infallible, eternal word? The story is told of a um, Native American who was a believer. And he visited one of the local churches and someone said, what did you think of the message? And he said, um, when, when he was asked what he thought, he said, high wind, big thunder, no rain. <laughs> now some of you, I, I have to tell you, I, I really wrestled with uh, jealousy and, and envy and resentment towards some of you. You got a lot of rain recently. Well, we got a tell was high wind and even some big thunder, no rain. Well, I think I saw 10 drops on the windshield. But what a picture of a lot of sermons, huh? Lots of wind, lots of noise, but no truth, no eternal word, no rain. So I'm challenged by the example of Jesus, and may God keep us faithful to him. Jesus Christ preached the Bible, and Jesus Christ lived the Bible. And for that reason, he could stand boldly in a temple filled with people that were nothing but hostile to him. And he could do it with a clear conscience and with great courage. We live in a culture that's increasingly rejecting, hating the message of truth. What's our task? Don't change the message. Our task is to preach the word, to testify to the word. And to live the word. And trust God with the consequences. And I'm not going to give you one of these success stories that say you do that and you will always prosper. In man's way, no. Six months later, where was Jesus? In the same city. Outside the gate. On a cross. But he was accomplishing God's purpose. Perfectly. May we be found faithful as we follow Christ and preach the message he sent us to preach. Father, how I pray for each one here. Lord, if any here have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, may they hear what you are saying to them. That they have to have a heart to hunger after you. That they have a heart that's open to your truth. And Father, that's a work of your spirit. And so, Father, if any here have yet to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, draw them. Give them a heart to know you and receive your word. Father, for those of us, your children, deliver us from seeking man's approval to promote our pride. Father, instead, may we be found faithful. I pray in Jesus' name.